everyone, and welcome to New Consciousness Review. I'm Miriam Knight, and my guests today are Adam Bucko and Matthew Fox. Matthew is no stranger to NCR Radio. He was last here discussing his book, The Pope's War. He's an internationally acclaimed theologian working in the creation spirituality tradition of Christianity. He's also the best-selling author of 30 books, including Original Blessing, A Spirituality Named Compassion, and The Coming of the Cosmic Christ. The New York Times has praised Matthew as a Roman Catholic rebel and a co-celebra. Now, Adam Bucko is an activist and a co-founder of the Reciprocity Foundation, an initiative empowering homeless youth to break the cycle of poverty and also of HAB, an interspiritual contemplative fellowship focused on training young people in radical spirituality and sacred activism. They have collaborated on a new book called Occupy Spirituality, a radical vision for a new generation, which is the debut title in a new series from North Atlantic Books called About Sacred Activism. So, Matthew and Adam, welcome. I'm so pleased to have you with me. Thank you, Mary. Good to be with you. Thank you you so much. I remember years ago a bumper sticker... Uh, oh, actually, this was before bumper stickers, so it was one of these signs that you put on your desk that said, if you can keep your head in all this chaos, you simply do not understand the situation. And your book is almost a- an embodiment of that. It's a cri de coeur for people to get up off their futons, as Andrew Harvey would say, and make the world better through their own sacred activism. Now, this was supposed to have been the province of religion, but I suppose, as you point out in your book, more death and destruction have been perpetrated in the name of God than for any other reason. Where did religion go wrong? Well, I would would say one of the major um, detours um, in Christianity was the 4th century when the religion inherited the empire, the Roman Empire, and um, St. Augustine came along and, and built a, a, uh, a map for how to run a religion and an empire, including ideologies of original sin and, and dualism, matter versus spirit, and so forth. And I think that um, that was a real significant turning point in that of course, what we're trying to do now in, in, in the Christian tradition is to get back to the pre-imperial uh, times and to find out what the historical Jesus really taught and what he really um, lived for and died for, and um, also what the early community experienced in terms of the risen Christ and the cosmic Christ. So um, that's one of the important turning points, I think. I, I think, obviously, you can turn to uh, the wars, especially the Reformation Wars, and, the, um, and uh, of course, the, the battle with science that really uh, was launched in the early 17th century. So that, too, set religion on its, on its heels, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess what I was trying to get at was the distinction that you make between the God of religion and the God of life. Can you expand upon that? 
Well, that's really a quote from Howard Thurman, the great uh, African-American mystic who so um, uh, influenced Dr. King that every time King went to jail, which is 39 times, he took uh, Thurman's book, Jesus and the Disinherited, with him. And part of uh, Thurman's teaching is indeed that religion sometimes is more about itself than it is about life itself, and that... Um, uh, we have to, that's how you renew religions, by continually returning to um, uh, the God of life instead of the God of religion. Um, now, Adam may want to jump in here, too, but that, in a nutshell, what we're saying there. I, I completely uh, agree with Matthew's beautiful analysis, both about uh, where religion got it wrong and also... Uh, the distinction between God of religion and God of uh, life. Um, as someone who works with young people, especially young people who have been broken and excluded from many institutions, including religious institutions, I think that young people are no longer interested in the God of religion, um, simply because uh, that God, as Matthew said, is more preoccupied uh, with... Um, his own survival rather than uh, enrichment of life, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, uh, so, and I think that that was one of the primary inspirations for, right, for us to write this book, uh, to, to essentially articulate what young people uh, are interested in, what kind of spirituality they are longing for, and what kind of uh, aspirations, spiritual aspirations they have, you know? Well, I, I think it's absolutely right that you focus on young people because they are uh, creating the world that uh, the perpetuation of the world that and and the um, the the remediation of the world that we have <laughs> the mess that we have left them. Um, but I I would suggests that it's not just young people who are um, estranged from religion. I think more and more um, people in my generation, um, the, the, the boomer plus generation, are trying to find a spirituality that they can feel uh, nourished from. Um, uh, Matthew, uh, sorry, Adam, you have a very interesting background. Um, tell us how you came to do what you do. What what turned you on to your path? Well, uh, you know, in my case, I grew up in Poland during the uh, communist and Soviet era, so to speak. So it was a totalitarian system that I was exposed to as a child. Very early on, I realized that I have two choices, just like most people in Poland, and one was to become uh, an alcoholic, and the other one was to, or to become an activist. And so deep down, I knew that I wanted to become an activist and not an alcoholic. And a lot of people around me made the choice to actually get numb with, uh, with alcohol and with other things because the pain was so great, you know, growing up in a country that did not offer 
anything to its citizens, you know. And so early on, uh, inspired by the Solidarity Movement and some of the other people who were essentially fighting for justice and fighting for a world which would uh, offer people a chance for a better life, you know, um, I decided that I wanted to uh, become a, an activist, someone who wanted to stand for truth, uh, someone who wanted to contribute to creating a world that would feel like home to people's souls. Um, and so, because it was Poland, uh, I was also deeply influenced by uh, some of the activist priests from the Catholic Church, from the from the Solidarity Movement, and through them I discovered uh, something that Matthew Fox articulating, uh, articulates in, in, in his creation spirituality, in his theology of creation spirituality, that uh, any kind of authentic spirituality, um, you know, the yes that we say uh, to God has to include a no that we say to all of the things that violate God's love and justice in the world. Um, and so early on, for me, activism was connected to, um, uh, to, to spirituality, to this quest that, that all of us are on, you know. And, and in terms of what, what brought me into my vocation specifically to work with young people and homeless kids, um, at some point when I was 17, my family and I, moved to New York City, and it was a very difficult experience for me. I didn't know any English. We were undocumented immigrants. Life wasn't that easy. And, and so one of, the reason, one of the ways in which I was trying to, uh, to deal with my uh, heartbreak of, of, of losing everything that was familiar to me and, and moving into a new country was uh, essentially to go within to learn contemplative practice, and that eventually took me to a Hindu ashram, and that eventually took me to India, uh, where I was supposed to stay at a Hindu-Christian um, hermitage in the tradition of Father Bede Griffiths, but on my way there, I met a homeless kid, and that really changed my life. You know, one could say it was a very typical experience that everyone in India experiences, but for me, it felt like uh, that kid felt like a call that I needed to answer, you know? And that really um, uh, located me in my truth and in my vocation that I still pursue today. Such a beautiful story. And Matthew, you were a theologian who worked alongside uh, uh, the, the, the former Pope Ratzinger before he became the Pope. What moved you out of the kind of lockstep mainstream um, institutional Catholicism into what you have developed as the vision of the cosmic Christ? I'm not sure I heard you, Kirky. Did you say I worked alongside Cardinal Ratzinger? No, contemporaneous with. Oh, yeah, contemporaneous (laughs) with. We were not on the same page at any time. <laughs> Pursuing me for 12 years and, um, and giving me all kinds of trouble. So anyway, um, yes, I, um, I uh, did my doctorate studies in spirituality in, in Paris at the Institut Catholique because Thomas Berry, the Catholic monk, advised that I go there to 
that would be the best place to study spirituality. And it was there that I met my mentor, Ershanu, a French Dominican, who um, named the creation spiritual tradition for me. He was also the founder, or the grandfather, if you will, of liberation theology. He himself was silenced by the Pope Pius XII for 12 years, forbidden to write and publish, um, because he worked with the worker-priest movement after the war, um, dialoguing a lot with Marxists and the Unionists and so forth in France. But he was very much vindicated in the Second Vatican Council, where he was very um, significant uh, as a theologian. And uh, so I, I arrived after the council in 1967. And um, that council, of course, gave a whole new impetus to Catholicism to get more involved in, in the world. And liberation theology, especially in South America, came out of that, that impetus, uh, which was a movement of preferential justice for the poor. And this uh, antagonized... Um, well, it very much antagonized the Reagan administration, who teamed up with Pope John Paul II and um, Ratzinger to attack uh, theologians and base community movements all over Latin America and replace them with Opus Dei, which is an extremely right-wing movement uh, <clears throat> that was communist by, the, by those two popes. So um, I ran into trouble, as I said, over 12 years because my tradition was feminist, uh, not patriarchal, and it was earth-based and not uh, <clears throat> empire-based. And um, they accused me of working too closely with Native Americans. I don't know what that means. That was one of their accusations. They accused me of being a feminist theologian. I did not know that was a heresy. <laughs> and, uh, and so they had a whole list of objections to my work. And of course, my uh, book, Original Blessing, uh, disturbed them a lot because they prefer original sin. They have an investment in it. But the truth is that no biblical scholarship uh, recognizes original sin as being part of Jesus' consciousness because no Jew has ever heard of original sin. And so, um, again, I think that's an ideology that serves uh, empire building. So uh, that's kind of how my journey went. And, and um, uh, what can I say? I... Uh, I, uh, with the help of, of my Dominican order for several years, we fought Ratzinger, and then the order in America gave up on me and, and threw the towel in, and then uh, I got bounced. So then I became an Episcopal priest uh, to work with young people to reinvent forms of worship and bring dance and uh, DJing and VJing and the new art forms wrap uh, into into worship and liturgy. So I'm still doing that these days. I thought it was interesting that you drew such a, a parallel between art and music and spirituality. Oh, yeah. um, you were talking about the the, the drum beat and and how rap uh, that you use in the cosmic mass is. Uh, can be seen as, as a, a cosmic drumbeat. Yes. Um, I remember my very first, last meeting with Father Chanu. He was 90 or 91 at the time. And he said to me, um, never forget the greatest tragedy in theology of the last 300 years has been the divorce of the theologian from the musician, the artist, the poet, um, the potter, 
the dancer and the filmmaker. And um, that always stayed with me, that art is really the link between uh, justice and spirituality. And uh, after all, they're both about creativity. And all the great prophets, whether you're talking Gandhi or King or whoever, um, or Isaiah, uh, were involved in art and, and the art of social change and the art of awakening uh, people to their best selves and to, for example, nonviolence and other, other ways of dealing with their moral outrage. This is all a deep part of uh, the work of justice and healing and sacred activism. So yes, I think that art is at the heart of it. Mm-hmm. You mentioned sacred activism. How is that different from activism in general? Well, I like uh, um, Adam pointed out in his own uh, brief biography there, um, sacred activism uh, looks in and, and does self-critique and finds um, a way to cease projecting onto others. And I think this is part of any meditation practice about finding uh, some peace within and, um, and criticizing ourselves. Because otherwise, activism is just um, changing one hat for another. Look at the French Revolution, where you went from the king killing people to the next generation guillotining uh, everybody around. So, you know, there's a very grave danger in activism that you you feed the um, kind of a narcissistic, the reptilian brain, uh, and and you just uh, exchange one form of violence for another. So I think that the, the sacred part is, is about putting things in context, realizing we're all subject to evil, we, we can all be participants in evil, and therefore self-criticism and calming the reptilian brain is a part of, of authentic or sacred activism. Now, this is an important question. Maybe Adam would like to jump in on this question as well. Yes, so for, for me, sacred activism is about acting in the world, responding to crisis in the world, and living my life from the deepest sense of who I am. Um, and so, uh, essentially, activism for me is an extension of my contemplative practice, where I can sit in silence, in a state of receptivity and listening, and be present to everything in the world in the state of receptivity and listening, and then sensing that rising impulse, that arising inspiration, um, within my heart and then saying yes to it and hopefully living as an expression of that impulse in the world. And so to me, essentially, sacred activism is this attempt to, uh, to discover what is my calling in each particular situation that I, that I, that I experience in my life, you know? Um, and so in that sense, then action becomes prayer. Uh, and prayer, um, you know, or contemplative practice is not separated from from being in the world. Um, uh, so, so sacred activism for me is about that. Is about that kind of integrated spiritual journey where our work, where our activism, where uh, you know whom we love and how we love, uh, all of it is integrated and 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 and, and connected. 
I was amused when you quoted Andrew Harvey as saying, uh, talking about the bliss bunnies, the people who were happy to um, sit and meditate, but without that uh, extra step into activism, into doing something positive in the world, um, there's a, a hollowness about it. Um, I would say that possibly that's the difference between my generation and your generation. My generation is discovering this universal spirituality, and your generation is applying it in the world. Would you say that's a fair statement? I would say yes. I mean, I think that in general, and what we say in the book and what we realize through meeting with young people and working with young people is that in the past, a lot of people who, who came up, you know, in the 60s, uh, there were two choices. One of them was to join the monastic order or to join the ashram and essentially disconnect from the world and, 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 and turn their spiritual quest into a full-time enterprise away from the world. Um, and the other one was to be in the world and do their spirituality on, on weekends and then go on retreats and etc. But, but not really integrating all life, all, all of life around the question of spiritual quest. And this new generation, this young generation is not interested in that. You know, they no longer want to lead a divided life. And so, so for them, a prayer that doesn't result in action, uh, just doesn't make sense. It's not complete, and and uh, and it's not relevant to who they feel they are, you know. And so, in that sense, I think that it's a new development in spirituality. And of course, when we look at some of our great ancestors, like Meister Eckhart, and and, and I'm sure Matthew can talk about it beautifully. Uh, you know, I mean, they they articulated this vision many many years ago. Um, a vision that integrated contemplation and action, etc. But somehow our religious traditions and our spiritual traditions have never really fully embraced it, you know, maybe with an exception of Judaism. And so I think that we're seeing something new, um, essentially, in this new generation. People are no longer willing to lead divided lives. And that, of course, you know, presents a problem for them because they are no longer willing to work on Wall Street and essentially screw people for living, you know, and then on weekends go on their contemplative retreats, so to speak. Um, and so how are they going to figure out how to live their lives in this new and more integrated way? And I think that that's why many young people are realizing that this world simply doesn't feel like it's home for, for, for their souls. And so as a result, they're trying to create a new world. And the Occupy movement was just one example of that uh, attempt to create a new way of relating to people, a new way of, of doing business, a new way of, 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 of doing democracy. Um, and that's why we see a lot of people essentially... Uh, disconnecting from the mainstream society and, and creating their own communities and their own projects that, that function according to a completely different logic, projects that allow them to, 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 to have full and complete lives, you know? Mm -hmm. 
We're going to need to take a brief break, and then we'll be right back with our guests. Silent, The Power of Silence, by Gregory Malouf, founder of the Epsilon Healing Academy. Gregory reveals the secrets to real-life success through his engrossing stories, spiritual insights, and relevant examples from his own personal journey, as well as the experiences of those around him. It is these examples and the simple yet highly effective steps that you will easily integrate into your own life that make Silent so remarkable. Silent answers the most commonly asked questions. How can I consciously create the life I desire? How can I overcome limiting beliefs that hold me back? How can I live free from self-doubt, stress, and anxiety? How can I have more authentic loving relationships, more wealth, and more energy for what's really important. Silent is an overwhelmingly honest account of Malouf's own struggles from childhood abuse to outstanding success to personal crisis and finally to complete self-fulfillment. His story is interwoven with practical advice, inspirational teachings, and motivational exercises which instantly give you the answers you seek. Malouf has made it his mission to help others understand what is holding each of us back from living life to the fullest. Don't wait. Become aware. Save what you have. Value what is truly important, your innermost desires, and create the life you deserve. Go to www.gregorymalouf.com slash silent offer. That's G-R-E-G-O-R-Y M-A-L-O-U-F dot com forward slash silent offer. There you'll get more information about Greg and the book Silent, The Power of Silence. Inspired by the number one best-selling book, Summer's Path, by Scott Bloom, founder of Daily Ohm, Walk-In is an award-winning film that boldly confronts some of life's biggest mysteries. In this emotionally gripping independent film, ailing engineer Don Newport comes face to face with his personal destiny when he meets an angel named Robert while on his deathbed. Robert ultimately inhabits Don's previous body while comically grappling with his newfound humanness. A surprise ending leaves viewers with a unique perspective on death and the immortality of the soul. Now available on DVD and VOD at www.walkinthemovie.com. You are listening to New Consciousness Review. You can learn more about Miriam Knight's guests by visiting the NCR online showcase of Conscious Media, where you'll find thousands of spiritual and progressive titles of authors and filmmakers. And now let's get back to Miriam and her guest. And we're back speaking with Matthew Fox and Adam Bucko about their new book, Occupy Spirituality. Tell us about the difference. You, you, you talk about the difference between an elder and an old person. I thought that was very amusing. Um, 
tell us about the intergenerational dialogue that you feel is so important. Well, one dimension to this uh, book, Occupy Spirituality, that we did together was that we sent out surveys to many young people, young adults, and um, also we did filming of a number of um, young adult leaders around the country. And uh, one of the questions we asked was about the role of elders in their lives. And uh, almost to the person, they said they, they want elders in their life. They know they need them, but that it's very hard to find them, that the elders are, uh, are often too busy on the golf course or playing the stock market or something. So um, I think it raises the question about uh, being an elder and just being an older person. I think an elder is someone who has had to do some inner work and therefore has acquired some wisdom. And it's not just going along with the crowd, even if it's an elder crowd, with the, um, the uh, illusions of what retirement means that our culture sets up there. I say that the word retirement, I think, is an obscene word, and we should replace it with the word refirement. Because, uh, <laughs> there's, there's a role for older people after they no longer have to put food on the table for the younger generation, but it's not just um, uh, playing some kind of uh, frustrating adolescent game. Uh, it's, uh, it's a serious matter about relating to the youngest generation and, and with them leaving behind something uh, worthwhile and, uh, and noble. Now, I'd like to just say one word about the previous uh, exchange that, that you and Adam had. Um, I, I do want to say that I don't think that active contemplation or sacred activism just begins with this generation. I look at the people who gave their lives, literally, uh, in South America and Central America, for example, uh, for justice uh, uh, in the name of uh, liberation theology and so forth. And I'm talking about thousands of people, uh, some of whom I actually knew, and, um, and Archbishop Romero and all this, and they were they were living lives of sacred activism. So I don't think we can say that this is the generation that invented it. I mean, I think there have been periods throughout religious history where people have taken the values, uh, and of course the civil rights movement was part of it too, where people took the values so seriously that they were willing to put their lives on the line. So I'm not quite so um, clear uh, that uh, the the older generation is just um, treading water, and the younger ones have it, have it all together. I think that there are many examples of older people who um, have been living lives of sacred activism. Oh, absolutely. Oh, I would agree with that. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, one can't really uh, make across-the-board generalizations, but... Yeah. Um, but you're right, and for it to go more mainstream, which is really, I think, the point we're trying to make in our book, that it's not about uh, just a small group, but Occupy Spirituality was a movement that was mainstream in the sense it was ordinary young people and older ones, too, in, in part joining them, uh, who who took a stand. And um, so I, th- I think that's really the more proper distinction, is kind of how mainstream can this get? Uh, mm-hmm. And and so it's not just uh, a small group 
uh, that stands up, but that can more and more citizens stand up, you know. So well, now, right. we need uh, to invent uh, some different social models because there are very few venues, actually, where elders and the younger generation come together. If you look at, say, the New Thought churches or or even, uh, you know, weekend workshops, they tend to be very skewed and divided into, you know, a 50, 60 plus uh, demographic, predominantly female, uh, or at the, um, so, you know, positive rock concerts, it's skewed at the other end of the age spectrum. So I, I would think that if elders were called upon for their wisdom, they would rise to the occasion. But how do we create venues where they come together and are actually um, asked to contribute? Well, I think that it's actually not that difficult to create those things. And I think that uh, these intergenerational collaborations could essentially start as conversations. I mean, that's what Matthew and I have been doing for quite a few years, it feels. And I certainly benefited from it so much. I mean, my life has been enriched by, by having such an elder as Matthew in my life. Uh, and the good thing about starting these things as conversations is that we don't need a five-year plan for that. We don't need a million dollars for that. An elder could just, in a collaboration with someone younger, could just decide that once a month they will hold intergenerational conversations where they will invite both older people and younger people, and together they will explore what it means to be in a conversation, what it means to... Uh, you know, create a space of openness uh, in which both generations could essentially share their gifts and be enriched by the gifts of the other. Um, and so, for example, in New York City, uh, there is one spirit seminary, uh, which is um, uh, the spiritual director of that seminary is Reverend Diane Bark. And one of the things that we've been exploring, I think, starting in January, we will halt uh, intergenerational conversations once a month. We will adopt the methodology of um, that Parker Palmer created for conversations through his courage uh, for renewal uh, organization. Uh, and together we will explore what it means to be in communion, what can we learn from each other, and how to move forward. Uh, you know, utilizing the wisdom that older people have and utilizing the wisdom that younger people have. Matthew often says that both groups really need each other, you know. And so um, I think that it could start uh, in a very simple way. And, and one of the things that we discovered, you know, from our surveys and from talking to young people um, all across the country is that young people are really longing for mentors, they're really longing for meaningful connections with the, with the older generation. Um, so I think the start could be very simple. Hmm. That sounds like a wonderful initiative, and I hope our listeners uh, uh, have taken that on board and you've planted some seeds. Um, yes, and you know, don't wait for organizations and churches to organize it. Organize it yourself. Invite, you know, five young people for, for coffee or tea to your home uh, and, and see what's on their hearts, you know? Hmm. 
Wonderful. Tell us about some of the emerging movements and communities that that give you a sense of hope for the future. Adam, Matthew. Oh. Well, one of the communities that that Matthew introduced me to, for example, and we talk about that community in the book, is the Canticle Farm uh, in Oakland. Um, uh, recently, uh, we had a chance to visit that particular uh, community, and Matthew, I think, goes there on a regular basis. Uh, and I personally was very touched by what I experienced there. Uh, it was such a beautiful community located in a very rough neighborhood in Oakland. They have an open-door policy, which means that essentially anyone from the neighborhood can go into the kitchen and or or, or the house at any time during the day or at night, make themselves a sandwich, you know, rest, engage in conversations, and etc. Um, they also distribute free organic food to the community. Uh, I mean, just the energy there really touched me deeply. It feels like there's this beacon of light there that is now transforming the whole neighborhood. And, and traditionally, I think it was a very violent neighborhood. And now when we were there, I mean... Everyone was so friendly. The response of the neighbors is just so amazing. And uh, and as uh, Pancho Ramos, who's also celebrated in our book, uh, said during our, our visit uh, to, to him, what they're doing there is Occupy 2.0. Mm-hmm. So, so, so in other words, this is like the next stage of the Occupy movement, how to gather those energies um uh and 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 form communities and initiatives that can that can start changing our neighborhoods you know mm-hmm. what is the connection between spirituality and democracy well i think democracy by definition is strive to be less hierarchical and more horizontal than uh even circular in the sense of representative uh, when it's doing its job correctly. And um, I think that spirituality, too, um, uh, mysticism is really the, the experience of unity, deep unity of, of peace, of the divine, um, directly. And it's not um, <clears throat> vicarious, it's not handed down um, or meted out or rationed uh, in a hierarchical fashion. Um, Dorothy Sola, who was a, a, a theologian who taught at Union Theology for years, she's from Germany, um, she writes about that and how, how mysticism um, <clears throat> deconstructs hierarchy and the masculine sense of patriarchy because uh, it's about how everyone is, is loved and you cannot fall out of that love. So um, it's definitely a different model of uh, being in the world, and uh, it's a different model of being in relationship to and kinship with all of creation. Uh, it's about the web of life rather than about ladders and uh, hierarchies. <clears throat> so it's understandable that this would threaten um, the hierarchies uh, of government, corporations, and so on. Do you think that it is an irresistible force whose time has come? Uh-huh. Well, I hope it is. Um, 
again, uh, Dorothy Stolas says that the opposite of obedience is uh, solidarity. And uh, so I think solidarity is a deep part of democracy, and I think it's a deep part of um, sacred activism. And uh, <clears throat> uh, I think that in a, in a culture that's as privileged as ours has been, uh, there's a tendency to to ignore the power of solidarity, and uh, which is really the, the the raw power of of democracy, because it's about again our our horizontal connection, our being part of a common web, and with all creation and with with other humans, and uh, I think that 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 really does deserve uh, to catch on fire and to be. Uh, be in a, a refreshing way of, of viewing the world. I'm sure. I'm sure Adam has something to say about the, this question too. Yes, I, I completely agree with 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 what Matthew said, and uh, I think um, I think for me, uh, spirituality and democracy are very closely related. If spirituality is about uh, discerning and discovering our gifts and and developing courage to use those gifts in service of compassion and justice, then democracy for me is about gathering those gifts um, in such ways that all of those gifts could enrich other gifts, you know? Um, and so in that sense, I mean, to me, that's the meaning of democracy, whether on a personal level or on a communal level, or even on a political level, you know, where systems are essentially used to um, uh, to give people a chance at uh, developing their full potential and 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 using that potential in service of enriching the world and other people. Mm-hmm. Now. Um... You've said that this book is especially uh, meaningful for people who identify as spiritual but not religious. In your uh, surveys and and conversations with young people that you have uh, recorded in your book in different sections, um, do you have a sense that um, there is a a growing... um, group of people who are coming back to a sense of the mystical, the religious, or uh, is it a dichotomy between, you know, activism and uh, spirituality? Well, I think that many young people are uh, interested in spirituality and view their activism as their form of spirituality. Um, that's why when the Occupy movement started, I think that I, from the very beginning, I personally, what I heard from, from, from those kids who were occupying Wall Street was that they, they were refusing to see that as just a political initiative. Uh, uh, f- for them, it was a spiritual initiative simply because it included all areas of life, including spirit. And so, in terms of the spiritual but not religious, I mean, it's a word that I think, um, you know, sociologists of religion and and journalists like to kind of uh, throw around. And even on Huffington Post religion last year, it was one of the 
the biggest stories in the religious world. You know, they said the arrival of the knowns, you know, the non-affiliated. Mm-hmm. Um, but it means many different things for many different people. In general, for young people, I feel like, uh, you know, they're tired of oppressive systems, of, of systems that no longer serve um able to meet their longings, you know? And so they're throwing all of that stuff out the window, and instead they want to find tools and practices and wisdom that can help them, that can empower them, that can uh, transform them, you know? Uh, and so in that sense, they are very much interested in the mystical, and they are very much interested in the contemplative. Uh, and again, for them, they don't make a distinction between that and being active in the world. In terms of our book, you know, speaking specifically to, to, to that particular group, um, I think that when we were writing the book, uh, um, I think that we we kind of aimed to to, to speak to that group, but one of the things that I've discovered recently is that, you know, the reviews that came out about our books, surprisingly quite a few of them are, are actually written by ministers. There's even one review written by a Mormon thinker who said that this book is helping him to become a more socially justice-oriented Mormon. Now, that was a surprise uh, to me, but but I'm happy that this book is speaking to so many different groups of people, you know, both within our churches, within our temples and mosques, as well as those who are no longer interested um, in, in, in those religious systems, but who want to claim their spiritual gifts. I find that some people have their feet out sometimes, others their feet in, and some people have one foot in and one foot <laughs> out of organized religion. So I think in a way we're trying to meet all those, because we're in this transition time for all the, the good reasons that uh, that uh, this conversation has, has raised and that um, Adam just, just articulated. <clears throat> there was one really interesting point that I wanted to close on, and that was your discussion of community. I mean, in a sense, um, religious groups are a uh, community identification um, and they all have their rituals so you talked about a ritual creating community what would you say would be the way to create new communities uh, is there a role for ritual and, and I'm thinking specifically Matthew about your cosmic mass mm-hmm. Well, Melito Masome is an African spiritual teacher now living in California who makes a point based on his indigenous uh, tribal experience that there is no community, he says, without ritual. That uh, ritual is a way in which you gather community and get the deepest gifts um, uh, exposed and shared and, and also the deep, deepest grief. So it's a place for sharing joy and grief, for sharing creativity, and for developing the spiritual warriorhood that is really necessary. Um, so we have been trying to uh, create alternative rituals using the language of young people now for over 15 years. We call it the Cosmic Mass, but using the language of rave, dance, VJ, uh, uh, DJ, and rap as to go into trance. and. 
one we've had some amazing experiences with this and one experience is is part of this intergenerational um, communion that can happen because I find that older people is, are just as bored with church as younger people and um, and they they take as much delight out of being able to dance their prayers rather than just read them from a book as do as do young people just a couple months ago we did a cosmic mass for about a thousand people in the mountains of uh, Colorado at a Sounds True conference and it was very ecumenical. There were Sufis and Buddhists and pagans and goddess worshippers and Christians and so forth, and even some atheists. And uh, we all derived a lot of benefit from that, judging from the very strong feedback we got. So, um, yes, uh, ritual is not just the result of community. It's also a way to build community. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think we've missed out on this. Again, indigenous people have known this for 100,000 years. Uh, it's their basic form of education, in fact, and passing values on to the younger generation, not by putting them in dust and telling them, telling them to be quiet for seven hours or they have a disease and they have to have drugs, but through ceremony. And ceremony mm -hmm. involves the whole body, involves the chakras, it involves imagination, it involves multi-generation. And and, uh, and multi multicultural. You talk a lot about interspirituality and and this uh, deep ecumenism. Um, yeah. if, you're right. If your vessel for worship is is well thought out, uh, people from many traditions and cultures can be at home there, and this provides the the diversity and the imagination and the uh, the the depth. That, that we're all longing for, as, as, uh, as Adam mm -hmm. said. Well, I'd like a, a final word from Adam, because we're just about out of time. Um, what, would you, what would be your message to particularly the younger generation, Adam? Well, I think my message would be both to, 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 to the younger generation and to the older generation. I, I certainly hope that they would read our book, but not so much, you know, uh, read our book to embrace our views, but rather uh, just to experience an inter intergenerational dialogue and then start creating those dialogues in their own communities. Uh, commit to those dialogues, figure, figure out ways in which both generations can, can begin to share their gifts and then see what can emerge out of that. I think that in terms of building democracy, in terms of building a new spiritual culture, that's the way to go, is to bring those two generations together and to allow their gifts to, to, to enrich each other. Beautifully said. We've been speaking with Adam Bucko and Matthew Fox about their book, Occupy Spirituality. Is there a website that they can go to? Well, they can certainly go to my website, uh, matthewfox.org, and pick up some links there, including, of course, the, the link with um, Adam's website, the reciprocityfoundation.org. So uh, both of those websites contain the work we're involved in and, uh, you know, follow up to, to this kind of discussion. Super. Matthew and Adams, thank you so much for being with me today. Thank you, Miriam. Thank you. Thank you. Next week, our guest is going to be Kathleen Porter talking about natural posture. If you have any kind of pain in your body, you won't want to miss this. And now we're going to close with our track of the week. It's called I Am Light by India Ari. I am.
my family did I am not the voices in my head I am not the pieces of the brokenness inside I am light 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 I'm not the mistakes that I have made or any of the things that cause me pain I am not the pieces of the dream I left behind Conversation. India was recently on Oprah's Super Soul Sunday and told her, My prayer is to spread love, healing, and joy and touch whoever is meant to be touched by my music. India's website is soulbird.com. Well, that's it for our show for today. I hope you'll join us next week and do visit our website at ncreview.com. Until then, a Miriam Knight for New Consciousness Review. Thank you for listening. Goodbye.